All right, well, why don't you, um, as we tear into this today, as we continue on in our sermon series, Empowered, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because that's uh, we're gonna, where we're going to spend our time today. And um, it's actually a handful of transitional verses that are sending us from chapter 12. See you later, kids. You know. Um, that will roll us into a very famous chapter of Scripture that we all know as um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But um, why, why a series in chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians? Why would we, why would we spend time here? I, I can tell you, like if you, if you were to poll each elder and ask why, um, I'm sure you would get a thread of the same reason, but there are, there are reasons why each one of us have found it important to spend time in this passage. And this is, this is mine. Um, I, the, from the day the Lord brought me into full-time ministry, um, I had spent years, and I know you have had the same experience of watching the church be divided over things that God intent, never intended to divide his church. He, he wanted and he created these things, and in particular, as we are in this series, spiritual gifts as something that is to unify and strengthen the church so that we would most appropriately and adequately be able to declare the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our personal lives in the life of this church. So Psalm 133 has always been a very, very dear psalm to me because it's one of the things that my heart in prayer has always pursued, not only in my own personal heart, but in my marriage in my relationship with my kids and my church in general, and it is this. Behold how good and pleasant, you know this, how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. And verse three says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. That's where the blessing of the Lord is commanded, is in a fellowship of believers that are able and have a strong desire to dwell together in unity. This has been one of my greatest passions and desires for my life, my life with my wife, and my life with my church. When I was in eighth grade, there was a very dear woman in my life. She spent four decades serving in the youth group of the church that I grew up in. And she shared with me when I was in, when I was in eighth grade, she shared with me some very spectacular experiences she had as a young woman after spending time with some other young women in a Bible study that centered around 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 magnificent experiences she had as she and these young women. So think back to our Titus 2 study where it's very important for older women to be instructing younger women even in how to spend time in the word. Spectacular experiences this woman had. And she said as she and this small group of young women continued to pursue the importance of the spiritual gifts in their lives, 
She began to experience things that were very questionable to her. And as time moved on, it rolled into some very, very, very frightening experiences where she believes that she had opened herself up to the influence of the capital E enemy. And she was having visions and and experiences that frightened her to death so much so she walked away from that study She never entered into it again and left me as an eighth grader thinking, I am never going to spend any time in 1 Corinthians because if that's what happens, I don't want anything to do with it. Fast forward, however many years it is, that was about eighth grade, so somewhere around 1981 or 82, to 2001, and the Lord is saying, I want you to marry Wendy Hostetter, or excuse me, Wendy Nicholson. She became Wendy Hostetter. You've heard me say this before. There were three reasons why I did not want to marry Wendy. One of them was that she had spent the last 12 years of her life in a church that was open to practicing gifts that I was not accustomed to seeing expressed in the life of a church. Where does my head go? 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I remember sitting in my pastor's office in tears like, I don't know what to do here. I know the Lord is calling me into relationship with her, but I don't know what to do with this. He counseled me through it. Wendy and I got married. And after 22 years, we are still married and we are expressing or experiencing based on the word of God, a unity that if you would have told me would have existed, you would have told me that in 2001, I said, no way. There's no way, there is no way we're going to be able to experience that. Frightening and personal has been this study. Bjorn challenged us in our elder meeting this past week. He said, I want you to do this. I want you to, I want you to reread 1 Corinthians. So after an elder meeting, three hours, I just don't have the brain capacity to sit down and study. So I, turn, I listened. I listened to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from beginning to end. Paul, after a few words of, hey, Corinthian church, it's good to write to you. I can't wait to see you. Whatever it is he says in his initial words of greeting, he comes to verse 10 and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. Here we sit. Let's pretend we're the Corinthian church. He wants us to agree on everything. I want you to agree. Agree. And that there be no divisions among you. So many things in the life of the Corinthian church that brought division, one of them being the expression of the spiritual gifts in their church. But that you would be united with the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Fighting over so many different things, we settle into chapters 12, 13, and 14, and we see, the, we see Paul addressing we, the spiritual gifts and how they were being misused and how they were not thinking with the same mind, how they were not unified, that they were using things God intended to be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their church to do everything opposite of what he intended in a broad division. There are two great disruptors of making, excuse me, making God known. And number one, it's division. Christ is unified. 
with the Father and the Holy Spirit, perfect in unity, and his desire, as he is the head of the church, that we would not be divided and that we would not quarrel over things, especially those things that we struggle to make complete and perfect sense of. Empowered is the name of our series. We know that it is the Holy Spirit of God that empowers us by his spirit. He intends for us to express the manifestation of the spirit through love as he has gifted us to be concerned with one another and the good of those that God has placed in our lives. If you can, if you can sum this up in two verses, God wants us, some at church, to make him known, verse seven, through the manifestation of the spirit that we would make him known for the common good of the church that we would make God known, that we would simply trust in his will. Verse 11 says, all these are empowered, the gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit, Holy Spirit of God in each one of us who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God determines to manifest himself in your life and in the life of this church as he wills and when he determines. Two weeks ago, I started, well, I I preached a series called To Be Known as the Holy Spirit wants to be made manifest in our church. Last week, Jasper shared how this this scriptural um, analogy of an expression of the spiritual gifts being at work together in the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Praise God for that. And here we are again today. I'd like to call it To Be Known Part Two because there are a handful of things coming from this group of verses that God wants us to understand so that we would be able to manifest his presence in the life of our church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 to 31 says this. It's today's passage. Now, you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. All are, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. Verse 31 but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way, Paul says. It's the desire of some at church that the Holy Spirit of God would be made manifest in our church. And so today we're going to answer again, same question we did two weeks ago, how is the Holy Spirit made known in our church? How is the Holy Spirit made known in our church? Here's the first one, by taking joy in our privileged position. I think all too often we get tangled up and messed up in the duties of the church and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. I think we get messed up with that. But look at this passage. Look at this simple verse, 27. You are the body of Christ. And individually, you are members of it. You are a member of the body of Christ, the holy God creator of the universe determined 
when he placed his calling on your heart that you should be invited in to the eternal relationship with the eternal God by making a way for you to be in relationship with him through the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, I want you. And I am making you a member. I'm making you a member of my family. Wendy and I have a United credit card. It's a credit card that builds miles through the airline United. And twice a year, I, I feel really important. Like when I get to fly, I, I'm like a, I'm a member with a, like a lower status. I'm not like a true member. Because twice a year, I get two passes to the United Club. So if I fly United, I get two passes to, to it's really crazy, to ride the escalator up to be in the elevated place of their club as you can look down on the lowlies that don't have access to the membership that you have. Now, keep in mind, I get two a year. They're spent after one trip. There are others that are there all the time. I think about how special that makes me feel, and as you can see, there are times of arrogance that kind of flow out as I take my little cardboard card and say, here is me, let me in. But they do, they let me in. How special does that make me feel? How silly an example to sit next to the, to the incredible truth that we are members with Jesus Christ. He has invited us into eternal relationship. He chose you. Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 says, this of our membership as people are, as Jesus is asking the disciples, who are people saying that I am? Peter makes this incredible declaration. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And Jesus says to him, I tell you this, Peter, based on that statement, on that statement alone, I am going to build my church. I'm going to build my church and I'm going to use you to build it. And guess what? the gates of hell itself will not prevail against the church. What a privileged and honored position we have simply by being in relationship with the creator God. So I don't want us to get all tangled up in the what's we have to do and the things we should do over here and what we should do over there. Let's simply settle into this magnificent truth that we are in relationship with the eternal God and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against his church. We are members, verse 27, but he also says you are the body of Christ. You, you belong to something. Bounce back to verse 26 for a second. I want you to think right now. What is the worst thing you've ever had to endure? Now, I want you to think, I've, what if I had to endure that very thing on, on my own? Maybe some of you have. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, absolutely, Todd. This absolutely awful thing that I had to endure, no one was there for me. Look at verse 26. When you belong to the body of Christ, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If you are sick, we will be here to come alongside you when you are sick. I've seen it happen over and over and over again in the life of Summit Church. 
as the church rallies around and behind those that are dealing with awful things. If you, are, if you have something to celebrate, we are there to celebrate with you. I have two guys in this church. When it comes to me gloating about my sons, I am very careful about who I gloat about them with because I don't want to be that guy that's like, hey, did you hear about my boy? I had one of those back home, and when you saw him coming, I was like, I don't want to hear from him because all he's going to do is say, hey, you want to, hey, let me tell you about my boy. Now, we should all be proud of our kids, but the way he was proud of our kids was very annoying. So I've chosen two. I've chosen two in my church that when I want to celebrate what my kids are doing, I know I can go and celebrate to the fullest with these guys because they're not going to look at me with judgment. They're going to celebrate with me. When we are sick, we rally around each other. When we celebrate, we get to celebrate with each other. If you are out of joint, like I think about, I think about last week. You know, if, if your knee, if you sprain your knee and you lay down to sleep at night, you can't sleep if you don't do something about it. And then the next night, my knee hurts, can't sleep because my knee hurts. And then the next night, my knee hurts, and so I can't sleep. And before you know it, it's not just your knee that's suffering, it's your whole body that's suffering. Your immune system is breaking down. Before you know it, you're a mess. You're an absolute mess. When you become a part of the body of Christ, if you become spiritually out of joint, you have those around you that are there for your comfort. They're there to take the Holy Spirit of God and correct you and set you on a right path so that you are no longer out of joint and you are growing and flourishing in your relationship with Christ. We are members of something incredible. We are a part of the body of Christ and we don't have to do anything alone. We get to do it together. And then, verse 27 says, we are individually members of these bodies. You are unique and you are necessary. Listen, you are necessary. There is no sideline Christian. If you are, you are not just misusing the gifts that the Lord has given you. You are not even using the gifts that the Lord has given you. You are necessary. Ephesians chapter 2 verse um, 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you would walk into. When you came into relationship with Christ and he made you a member of his body, he determined in that moment, even before that moment, that he had things he wanted you to fulfill. You are an individual member of that body. Last week, I closed the service with saying, you know what? I believe there's some in this church right now that your experience with the church has been, I have been nothing but the backside of the body of Christ. Untrue. You have a most valued position in the church, even if you are Mr. or Mrs. Encouragement that has no idea you are encouraging by the words you are saying, simply being present and sharing what the Lord is laying on your heart with those that he has placed in your life. You are valuable and necessary in this church. When we enjoy and we take pride in the body and our position, our relationship with Christ and with each other, people are going to notice. So I have two questions as we move on into the next point. All right? Two questions. What keeps you from being pleased with your role? Maybe you're like, I'm nothing but a toenail. I'm nothing but a fingernail. But if your fingernail points people to the person of Jesus Christ, you are valuable. 
What keeps you from being spiritually proud of how the Lord has gifted you in the life of his church? And here's a bigger one. This is one I've struggled with for a long time, church. What keeps you from being proud of the body of Christ? Are you slow to talk about your membership relationship with the person of Jesus Christ? And if so, why are you slow to do that? Man, that's one I've been working through for a long, long time. I pray to God that he continues to humble me and and loose my tongue to speak to others about who Jesus is. What keeps you from being pleased about your role and what keeps you from being proud of the body of Christ? Here's another one. How is the Holy Spirit of God made manifest in our church? How is he made known in our church? By accepting God's determined order. God has a determined order for things that he intends for us to express in our church. Look at this. Here's the first one. The messenger or the message must be accepted first, okay? Look at the order, verse 28. And God has appointed, once again, go back, as he wills, he determines in some a church. Well, hold on a second. I have to back up with that one. He has determined for the church, the broader context of the church, that first there would be apostles, that second there would be prophets, and third that there would be teachers. We're gonna stop there for a moment. He determined first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers. Apostles, ones that are officially commissioned by God for the establishment of the church by the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What determines an apostle is someone that, if you look at at Acts chapter one, someone that has witnessed the resurrection of the person, or excuse, yeah, the resurrection of the person of Jesus Christ. So there were 11, because you must remove Judas, the 12th disciple that betrayed Jesus, that sent him to the cross. Remove Judas. So there were 11 that actually witnessed in Acts chapter 1 the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they added another, Matthias is his name, to replace Judas. So there were 12 disciples or apostles of Jesus Christ that saw the resurrected Jesus that he intended to use and you can read at it in the acts of the the apostles Matthew Mark Luke John and the book of Acts you can see these magnificent things that these men were doing plus another guy so they were they were ministers to the people of of Jerusalem to the excuse me to the Jews but God intended through the apostle Paul, who met Jesus on the road to Damascus and saw in this crazy experience, Acts chapter seven, somewhere around there, eight, I believe. Jesus met him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? I want you to be my tongue, my messenger to the Gentiles. So we have these 12 disciples turned apostles plus Paul who was made an apostle by seeing the resurrected Jesus Christ. They were first assigned for the establishment of the church and you can read about it in Acts. And we believe at Summit Church that the apostleship, that that position passed away with the death of John who wrote the book of Revelation, last, last book of the Bible, that that position passed away. No longer do we have apostles, but praise God for their lives and how God used them in the establishment of the church. 
Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and 18, I already referred to it once. Simon Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. He changed his name and he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The establishment of the church based on the profession that Peter made about who Jesus was. And it's really crazy. Like some people want to say, well, it was Peter that he was saying on that rock, on this rock, I'm going to build my church because Peter means rock. But look at based on the profession of who Jesus is, is the foundational truth for the church. And he used a guy named Peter to, to establish the church and he named him the rock. The apostles, establishment of the church. Praise God for him and for them. First, first apostles, second prophets. These are ones who speak divine utterances of truth for God. And you're like, well, have they passed away? I mean, this one, this position is debated everywhere. And so I'm going to say yes, there are some prophets that have passed away, but in a few moments, we're going to look at another passage that says, as it relates to those who are making declarative statements for the Lord, thus saith the Lord type things, we believe that they have passed away. Yet, there are ones like Jasper and myself that the Lord has determined that we would open the scriptures of God and make declarative statements with the word of God for the sake of the church. So yes, there is a, there is a form of a pause or po, uh, there's a form of the prophet that has passed away, yet there are those that still exist. And then there are some that we can't make sense of that again, we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But we do know this, um, that there were assigned first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers. And we know that teachers are very, very valuable in the life of the church. Remember, the Corinthian church did not have the word of God laying in their laps every morning as they drank coffee. They needed someone to instruct them. So God determined through the Holy Spirit that he would assign teachers to be able to teach based on the word of God. So we have these three specific offices that are dependent on the gifting of the Holy Spirit that he says, these, this, this is what I want you to focus first on. All right? Here's the second. Then the miraculous then the miraculous. God has appointed first in the church these three positions, then miracles, then gifts of healing, and he throws in there helping and administration and various kinds of tongues. We don't really need to talk about what the miraculous is. The miraculous is this. A person is dead, raised to life. A person is a cripple, no longer a cripple. A person has a bleeding disorder, Miraculous says, Holy Spirit of God touches the, the, the body of that individual, no longer bleeding. Healing, miraculous healing, they kind of go together as far as I'm concerned. So we have these miracles that God says, yes, these are important for and in the church. Mirac- miracles, healings, then helping in administration. Like I, I personally today, I can't think about what church would be like without those that have the gift of administration. There's a group of ladies that are ready to provide meals for people, the gift of helps. 
All right, God has determined that these are valuable in the life of the church, and then he goes on to say, and various kinds of tongues. So my big question for you is, okay, so you're probably saying, why these first three first and not these other, the miraculous ones? I want to ask, why did you come to church today? Did you come to see a miracle happen or did you come to hear the word of God? And I'm like, right now, I'm standing up here and saying, you know what? If I came to church today and I saw a miracle, I would jump for joy. Praise God for that manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. But I came, actually today, I came to declare the truth. But why did you come to church today? So I'm gonna ask you a big question. Did you come to hear the word of God preached or did you come to see a miracle? Now, remove those three offices, the apostles, the prophets, and the teachers. Remove them from the church, and all you have left are miracles and healings and administration and tongues, and the list goes on and on. What's the church going to look like? Maybe you've been in a church that looks like that. What happens, let's go back to Acts, the entire book of Acts, the establishment of the church. What happens if there is only the declared word of God and you don't have these miracles happening all along the way to substantiate and to prove the power and the validity of the message that's being preached? Very, very valuable are all of the gifts in the church, but Paul is saying, listen, the, the, the gifts that are about the declaring of the word of God are the things that we need to keep our eyes on the most and we should expect. And I'm going to bring some more clarity to that as we come to our last point. But we need to keep moving here, okay? God has appointed in the church apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts, healing, helps, administration, and various everything everything is necessary. But remembering in verse 11, if you look back at verse 11, these are all empowered by one and the same spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Todd, do you want a healing in this church? You bet I do. Do you want to see something miraculous happen? You bet I do. As the Lord wills, as he determines, and when he determines. Let's look at a third. How is the Holy Spirit made known in our church? By accepting diversity. We spent a lot of time in this two weeks ago. But look at verse 29. Paul's asking this rhetorical question or a list of rhetorical questions. By accepting diversity. So, verse 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer is no. Of course they don't. Imagine right now, what would church look like if God determined that two guys got all the gifts? Yeah, all of these. The answer is yes. No, not all, only two. What does that church look like? It's, it's filled with seats. or The seats are filled with people that have no idea what their purpose is in the greater context of the church. And then you have two guys 
that ultimately, if they're fully gifted with every gift, what is the potential of things happening there but for them to see themselves as small g gods and for you to see those guys as small g gods? God does not intend for everyone to have all of the gifts. He intends for them to be used as he determines and spreads them out throughout the, throughout the broader context of the church. Once again, I would point to you the Acts of the Apostles, the fifth book of the New Testament. Variety is necessary. Okay, so here's the last one. Here's the last one. I, I think, like, as I'm preparing this sermon, this is the one, this is the point that I'm absolutely most excited about. Yes, I celebrate, I celebrate the truth of my relationship with Jesus Christ and he has brought me into his eternal kingdom and made me a part of his body. How is the Holy, but this, how is the Holy Spirit made known in our church? Because that's our great desire. By wanting what matters most. Verse 31, he says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts earnestly desire. Like I read, I've read that a thousand times over the course of my life. And he just told us, he's like, not everyone can have all the same gifts. So how are we all supposed to desire the higher gifts, the greater gifts? How do we do that? And I don't, maybe you never read it that way, but here's how it hit me. I'm sitting in my chair, praise God, or I would have been floored with great humility saying, Lord's like, I'm not saying that you need to desire all of them. What I'm saying is that in the life of your church, your desire is to see these made manifest through the Holy Spirit of God in the life of your church. This is what we should want. Earnestly desiring that we would be affectionate for, not pursuing but earnestly desiring the expressions of the declarative gifts that God has given us. What's the mission of the church? It's to glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. We make disciples because the, by professing the gospel... Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If there is no one proclaiming, there is no one hearing. If there is no one hearing, there are no disciples being made. You can have healing after healing after miracle after miracle, but without the proclamation of the word of God, there won't be a single disciple made. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Church, what do you want to see in Summit Church? What would you like to see more of? I want to say this. I, I, here's what I personally want. I want whatever God determines. I remember sitting, remember my pastor sitting in tears like, I don't know what to do without this. Lord's calling me to marry Wendy. I'm sitting, he said, Todd, he said, look, I pray to God for myself and my church, he says, that he would give me and he would give us every gift he intends us to have. You know how much peace that brought to me just to simply hear that because that's what I want. That's what your elders want for your church. Whatever God determines. I have two sons with diabetes. I have two sons with diabetes. So this, this to me is what brings us to, the, to the, the desiring the right things. 
I watch with Josh, who's married and has a child on the way, I watch the financial implications of having diabetes into his family. I watch the health implications. Do you want him to be healed? You bet. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have another son who has diabetes. I watch him suffer physically through diabetes as he plays volleyball. Do you want him to be healed? Absolutely. Here's the great measuring stick. What do I want most for my sons with diabetes? For them to be healed or for them to hear the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I want what matters most for eternity. Not that they would be healed today and then tomorrow forget about their healing. Remove the teachings of the word of God and all they've been is healed and they're gonna go celebrate and they're gonna forget who God is. Remember Israel, they are the perfect example. They're standing on the shores of the Red Sea. No one saw a greater miracle than them, miracles than them. Standing on the shore of the Red Sea, they're fleeing the enemies behind them. They're chasing them right up to the shore. God separates the waters of the Red Sea. They charge through on dry ground. They turn around and they look back and they see the waters crashing on their enemy. They spend a few moments celebrating and prophesying together, but the next moment they're griping and complaining about where God has brought them. They forgot the miracle. They forgot it. We will see miraculous And it will fire us up about who God is and what he can do. But I am telling you, we will walk down the road and we will forget that miracle. And if the word of God is not proclaimed, we will make a mess of ourselves. Miracles don't change hearts. The gospel message changes hearts. The abundance of the importance of the messenger needs to be held so high. Acts chapter two, and this is it, all right? Acts chapter two, this is why the messenger is so important. Yes, we want miracles, but this is why the message is so important. You have Peter standing with the other disciples just before Pentecost, nine o'clock in the morning, Holy Spirit is poured out on him, on them, Tongues of fire come down, settle on them. All of a sudden, they begin to say things in different languages. People are all standing around like, I can understand what he's saying. I can understand what he's saying. I can, I can understand. I understand. I understand. What in the world's going on? Tongues, a sign to the Jews. These guys are legit. They're valid. This is what he says. They accuse them of being drunk. And Peter's like, guys... It's nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. We have just been filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the first words out of his mouth after that. This is how he begins his sermon. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. After Christ ascended, Pentecost comes. Peter speaking in tongues, people understanding him. That is the beginning of the last days as the Holy Spirit of God has been poured out on his church, established the church, this miraculous thing, 3,000 souls are, give their lives to the Lord, to the Lord that day, that moment based on Peter's sermon. 
And this is what he says. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. There are going to be people declaring the truth of the word of God so that the gates of hell will not prevail as the church continues to grow and flourish. There are, some, there are some miraculous things in here, crazy kind of prophecies, visions and dreams on everyone. How do we know, how do we know when these crazy gifts are being manifested and, and determined and willed by God? How do we know when they happen? I suppose we know when they happen. I don't know when this is going to happen, except that we know that things are going to increase in the end. So, so here, here's the, I'm trying to, trying to make complete sense of this for you. All right? From the moment Peter declared this word, prophecy from Joel, in the last days, began the pouring out of the Spirit on the church. This is the quickening truth. Why does this matter so much that we continue to declare the word of God? Why does it matter so much that we place a higher emphasis on the teaching than on the healing? Because verse 19 says, Acts chapter two, verse 19 says this, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. This day is coming. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. There is some kind of miraculous and crazy day coming. Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather my sons and those who are sick and afflicted in my life to hear about the gospel message of Jesus Christ than I would for them to be healed because this day is coming and I want them to be ready for it. I want them to be ready for it. Verse 21 says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's our mission, that everyone would be saved, that the Holy Spirit would manifest himself in such a way in our hearts and our lives that everyone we know would come into everlasting and eternal relationship with the Lord. We want the Holy Spirit of God to be made manifest in our church. So we just spent an entire chapter trying to bring priority to turning it over to the Holy Spirit and letting him have his way in our church. But here we go. But here we go. We're not done. The end of verse 31 says this, and I will show you a still more excellent way. There's a better way than all this that we just preached for the last four weeks. There is a better way. You're gonna have to wait for two weeks to see what that better way is, unless you're gonna nose ahead into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and see what that better way is. Let's pray. Father, man, I celebrate the truth of your Holy Spirit being at work in our church. Oh, Lord God, whatever you have for us, please bring it to us. It's our great desire, God, that you would be made manifest in our church and that people would be captivated by the unity that has come because of your Holy Spirit in us. Lord, may we lay down our, our ball bats and our fists unclenched 
And may we simply receive what you have for us, the understanding that you have brought to us to this point. And may we glorify you in everything we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen.